First Chapter 10, Part 2 of Langstroth on the Hive and the Honeybee. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adam Marcetich, August 2009, Alexandria, Virginia. Langstroth on the Hive and the Honeybee by L. L. Langstroth. First Chapter 10, Part 2, Continued from Part 1. In the chapter on artificial swarming, I shall discuss the effects of too frequent swarming on the profits of the apiary. If the beekeeper desires to have no casts, he can, by the use of my hives, very easily prevent their issue. As soon as the first swarm is hived, the parent stock may be opened and all the queen cells except one removed. How much better this is than to attempt to return the after swarms to the parent hive can only be appreciated by one who has thoroughly tried both plans. If the apiarian desires the most rapid multiplication of colonies possible, where natural swarming is relied on, full directions will be furnished in the sequel for building up all after swarms, however small, into vigorous stocks. It will be remembered that both the parent stock from which the swarm issues, and all the colonies except the first, have a young queen. These queens never leave the hive for impregnation, until after they have been established as the acknowledged heads of independent families. They generally go out for this purpose, the first pleasant day after they are thus acknowledged, early in the afternoon, at which hour the drones are flying in the greatest numbers. On first leaving their hive, they always fly with their heads turned towards it, and enter and depart often several times before they finally soar up into the air. Such precautions on the part of a young queen are highly necessary that she may not mistake her own hive on her return, and lose her life by attempting to enter that of another colony. Mistakes of this kind are frequently made when hives stand near, and closely resemble each other, and are fatal, not only to the queen, but to her whole colony. In this new hive there is no brood at all, and in the old one it is too far advanced towards maturity, to answer for raising new queens. Such calamities in my hive admit of a very easy remedy, as I shall show in the chapter on the loss of the queen. To guard the young queen against such frequent mistakes, I paint the covered fronts of my hives with the alighting boards and blocks guarding the entrance of different colors. This answers the same purpose as to paint the whole surface of the boxes, some of one color, and some of another. The only proper color for a hive, when exposed to the weather, is a perfect white. Any shade of color will absorb the heat of the sun, so as to warp the woodwork of the hive, besides exposing the bees to a pent and suffocating heat. When a young queen leaves the hive for the purpose above mentioned, the bees, on missing her, are often filled with alarm, and rush from the hive, 
just as though they were intending to swarm. Their agitation soon calms down, if she returns to them in safety. I shall give through the medium of the Latin tongue some statements which are important only to the scientific naturalist and entomologist. Post coitum fucus stratum perit, penis ejecto et ergo compare, lenum compressum fuci venteris consequetur, et fucus exemplo similis fulmine taco moritur. Dominus Huber sepe vitibent fuci organum post congressum incorpore feminae hasiae. Vidi semel tam ferme inherens, ut nisi disreportione regae veneris, non possum divilere. The queen commences laying eggs about two days after impregnation, and for the first season, lays none but the eggs of workers, no males being needed in colonies which will throw no swarm till another season. It is seldom until after she has commenced replenishing the cells with eggs that she is treated with any special attention by the bees, although if deprived of her before this time, they show, by their despair, that they thoroughly comprehended her vast importance to their welfare. I shall now give such practical directions for the easy hiving of swarms, as will, I trust, greatly facilitate the whole operation, not merely to the novice, but even to many experienced beekeepers, and I shall try to make these directions sufficiently minute, to guide those who, having never seen a swarm hived, are very apt to imagine that the process must be a formidable one, instead of being, as is usually to those who are fond of bees, a most delightful entertainment. Experience in this, as in other things, will speedily give the requisite skill and confidence, and the cry of, the bees are swarming, will soon be hailed with greater pleasure than an invitation to the most sumptuous banquet, the hives for the new swarms should all be in readiness before the swarming season begins, and should be painted long enough beforehand to have the paint most thoroughly dried. The smell of fresh paint is well known to be exceedingly injurious to human beings, and is such an abomination to the bees, that they will often desert a new hive sooner than put up with it, if the hives cannot be painted in ample season, then such paints should be used, as contain no white lead, and they should be mixed in such a manner as to dry as quickly as possible. Thin hives ought never to stand in the sun, and then, when heated to an unsufferable degree, to be used for a new swarm. Bees often refuse to enter such hives at all, and at best, are very slow in taking possession of them. It should be borne in mind that bees, when they swarm, are greatly excited and unnaturally heated. The temperature of the hive, at the moment of swarming, rises very suddenly, and many of the bees are often drenched with such a profuse perspiration that they are unable to take wing and join the departing colony. 
The attempt to make bees enter a heated hive in a blazing sun is as irrational as it would be to try to force a panting crowd of human beings into the suffocating atmosphere of a close garret. If bees are to be put in hives through which the heat of the sun can penetrate, the process should be accompanied in the shade, or if this cannot conveniently be done, the hive should be covered with a sheet, or shaded with leafy boughs. If a hive with my movable frames is used, these should all be furnished, or at least every other one, with a small piece of worker comb, attached to the center of the frame, with melted wax or rosin. Without such a guide comb, the bees will almost always work some of the combs out of the true direction, and this will interfere with their easy removal. A sheet of comb, not larger than five inches square, will answer for all the frames of one hive. If even so small a piece of comb as this cannot be procured, let a thin line of melted wax be drawn, lengthwise, over the middle of each frame, and let the colony be examined, on the second day after hiving, and all the frames which contain a regular comb be removed. This comb may be cut off, and attached so as to serve as a proper guide to the bees. The possession of six frames containing good work or comb, and wrought with perfect accuracy, may be made by the following device, to answer a most admirable end. Put them into a hive with six empty frames, first a frame with comb, then an empty one, etc. After the bees have had possession of this hive two or three days, visit them, and very politely inform them that the full frames were intended as a loan, and not as a gift, and that having secured to set them an example of how they should work, you must now have them to teach other young swarms the same useful lesson, and that the new combs which they have built with such admirable regularity are beautiful patterns for the empty ones, which you must give them. In this way, the same combs may be made to answer for many successive swarms. Drone combs should never be attached to the frames as a guide, unless it is desired to have the bees follow the pattern and build large ranges of drone comb, to breed a vast horde of useless consumers. Such comb, if white, may be used to great advantage in the surplus honey boxes. If old and discolored, it should be melted for wax. I am now engaged in a course of experiments which I hope will enable me to dispense with the necessity of guide combs for my frames, as they are sometimes difficult to be procured by those who have just commenced beekeeping. As a general thing, however, everyone, after a few weeks' experience, may have enough and to spare for such purposes. Every piece of good worker comb, if large enough to be attached to a frame, should be used for both its intrinsic value and because bees are so wonderfully pleased when they find such unexpected treasures in a hive that they will seldom desert it. A new swarm has been known to take possession of an old hive without any occupants, but well stored with comb. 
Though dozens of empty hives may be in the apiary, they never unless under such circumstances enter a hive of their own accord. It might seem as though an instinct impelling them to do so would never have been a most admirable one, and so doubtless it may seem to some that it would have been much better for man if the earth had only brought forth spontaneously all things requisite for the support of man and beast, without any necessity for the sweat of the brow. The first and last frames in my hive are placed about a quarter of an inch from the ends, and the others just half an inch apart. When first put in, it will be advisable to attach them slightly with a very little glue or melted wax, to keep them in their places, until they are fastened with propolis by the bees. The rubbing of hives with various kinds of herbs or washes has always seemed to me useless, and often positively injurious. There ought always to be some small trees near the hives, on which the swarms can cluster, and from which they can be easily gathered. If there are none, limbs of trees about six feet high, evergreens are best, may be fastened into the ground, a few rods in front of the hives, and they will answer a very good temporary purpose. It will inspire the inexperienced Apiarian with much greater confidence to remember that almost all the bees in a swarm have filled themselves with honey before leaving the parent stock, and are therefore in a very peaceable mood. If he is at all timid or liable, as some are, to suffer severely from the sting of a single bee, he should, by all means, furnish himself with the protection of a bee dress. See bee dress. I shall, in another place, give the best remedies for the relief of a sting. As soon as the bees have quietly clustered around their queen, preparation should be made to hive them without any unnecessary delay. The headlong haste of some apiarians, which, by throwing them into a profuse perspiration, renders them very liable to be stung, is altogether unnecessary. The very fact that the bees have clustered, after leaving the parent stock, is almost equivalent to a certainty that they will not leave, for at least one or two hours. All convenient dispatch should be used, however, lest other colonies issue before the first one is hived, and attempt to add themselves, as they frequently do, to the first swarm. The proper course to be pursued, in such a case, will be subsequently explained. If my hives are used, the entrance on the whole front must be open, so that the bees may have every chance to enter as rapidly as possible, and a sheet must be fastened to the alighting board, to keep the bees from being separated from each other, or soiled by dirt, for a bee thoroughly covered with dust or dirt is almost sure to perish. Unless the bees cluster at a considerable distance from the place where they are intended to be permanently stationed, the new hive which receives them may stand on the protector in its proper place, with the sheet tacked or pinned to the alighting board. 
and spread out over the mound in front of the entrance. If the common hives are used, they must generally be carried to the swarm, and propped up on the sheet, so as to give the bees a free admission. When the bees alight where they can be easily reached from the ground, the limb on which they have clustered should, with one hand, be shaken, so that they may gently fall into a basket held under them, by the other. If the basket is sufficiently open to admit the air freely, and not so open as to allow the bees to get through the sides, it will answer all the better. The bees should now be carried very slowly to their new home, and be gently shaken, or poured out, on the sheet, in front of it. If they seem at all reluctant to enter, take up a few of them in a large spoon, a cup will answer equally well, and shake them close to the entrance. As they go in, they will fan with their wings, and raise a peculiar note, which commences the joyful news that they have found a home, to the rest of their companions, and in a short time, the whole swarm will enter, and they are thus safely hived, without injury to a single bee. When bees are once shaken down on the sheet, the great mass of them are very unwilling to take wing again, for they are loaded with honey, and like heavily armed troops, they desire to march slowly and sedately to the place of encampment. If the sheet hangs in folds, or is not stretched out, so as to present an uninterrupted surface, they are often greatly confused, and take a long time to find the entrance to the hive. If it is desired to have them enter sooner than they are sometimes inclined to do, they may be gently separated with a feather or leafy twig when they cluster in bunches on the sheet. On first shaking them down into the basket, multitudes will again take wing, and multitudes more will be left on the tree, but they will speedily form a line of communication with those on the sheet, and enter the hive with them, for many of them will follow the apiarian as he slowly carries the basket to the hive. It sometimes happens that the queen is left on the tree. In this case, the bees will either refuse to enter the hive, or, if they go in, will speedily come out, and all take wing again, to join their queen. This happens much more frequently in the case of after-swarms, whose young queens, instead of exhibiting the gravity of the old matron, are apt to be constantly flying about, and frisking in the air. When the bees cluster again on the tree, the process of hiving must be repeated. If the apiarian has a pair of sharp pruning shears, and the limb on which the bees have clustered is of no value, and so small, that it can be cut without jarring them off, this may be done, and the bees carried on it, and then shaken off on the sheet. If the bees settle too high to be easily reached, the basket should be fastened to a pole, and raised directly under the swarm. A quick motion of the basket will generally cause the mass of the bees to fall into it, when it may be carried to the hive, and the bees poured out from it on the sheet. 
If the bees light on the trunk of a tree, or anything from which they cannot easily be gathered in a basket, place a leafy bough over them. It may be fastened with a gimlet, and if they do not mount it of their own accord, a little smoke will compel them to do so. If the place is inaccessible, and this is about the worst case that occurs, they will enter a basket well shaded by a cotton cloth fastened around it, and elevated so as to rest with its open top sideways to the mass of the bees. When small trees, or limbs fastened onto the ground, are placed near the hives, and there are no large trees near, there will seldom be found any difficulty in hiving swarms. If two swarms light together, I advise that they should be put into one hive, and abundant room at once be given them for storing surplus honey. This can always be readily done in my hives. Large quantities of honey are generally obtained from such stocks, if the season is favorable, and they have issued early. If it is desired to separate them, place in each of the hives, which is to receive them, a comb containing brood and eggs, from which, in case of necessity, a new queen may be raised. Shake a portion of the bees in front of each hive, sprinkling them thoroughly, both before and after they are shaken out from the basket, so that they will not take wing to unite again. If possible, secure the queens, so that one may be given to each hive. If this cannot be done, the hives should be examined the next day, and if the two queens entered the same hive, one will have killed the other, and the queenless hive will be found building royal cells. It should be supplied with a sealed queen nearly mature, taken from another hive, not only to save time, but to prevent them from filling their hive with comb unfit for the rearing of workers. See Artificial Swarming. Of course, this cannot be done with the common hives, and if the apiarian does not succeed in getting a queen for each hive, the queenless one will refuse to stay, and will go back to the old stock. The old-fashioned way of hiving bees, by mounting trees, cutting and lowering down large limbs, often to the injury of valuable trees, and placing the hive over the bees, frequently crushing large numbers, and endangering the life of the queen, should be entirely abandoned. A swarm may be hived in the proper way with far less risk and trouble, and in much less time. In large apiaries managed on the swarming plan, where a number of swarms come out on the same day, and there is constant danger of their mixing, the speedy hiving of swarms is an object of great importance. If the new hive does not stand where it is to remain for the season, it should be removed to its permanent stand as soon as the bees have entered. For if allowed to remain to be removed in the evening, or early next morning, the scouts which have left the cluster, in search of a hollow tree, will find the bees when they return, and will often entice them from the hive. There is the greater danger of this, if the bees have remained on the tree, a considerable time before they were hived, 
I have invariably found that swarms which abandon a suitable hive for the woods had been hived near the spot where they clustered, and allowed to remain to be moved in the evening. If the bees swarm early in the day, they will generally begin to work in a few hours, or in less time if they have empty comb, and many more may be lost by returning next day to the place where they were hived, than would be lost by removing them as soon as they have entered. In this latter case, the few that are on the wing will generally be able to find the hive if it is slowly moved to its permanent stand. If the apiarian wishes to secure the queen, the bees should be shaken from the hiving basket, about a foot from the entrance to the hive, and if a careful lookout is kept, she will generally be seen as she passes over the sheet to the entrance. Care must be taken to brush the bees back from the entrance when they press forward in such dense masses that the queen is likely to enter unnoticed. An experienced eye readily catches a glance of her peculiar form and color. She may be taken up without danger, as she never stings, unless engaged in combat with another queen. As it will sometimes happen, even to careful bee-keepers, that swarms will come off when no suitable hives are in readiness to receive them, I shall show what may be done in such an emergency. Take any old hive, box, cask, or measure, and hive the bees in it, placing them with suitable protection against the sun, where their new hive is to stand. When this is ready, they may, by a quick jerking motion, be easily shaken out on a sheet, and hived in it, just as though they were shaken from the hiving basket. If they are to remain in the temporary hive over the second day, they ought to be shaken out on a sheet, and after their comb is taken from them, allowed to enter it again or else there will be danger of crushing the queen by the weight of the comb. I have endeavored, even at the risk of being tedious, to give such specific directions as will qualify the novice to hive a swarm of bees, under almost any circumstances, for I know the necessity of such directions, and how seldom they are to be met with, even in large treatises on beekeeping. Vague or imperfect directions always fail, just at the moment that the inexperienced attempt to put them into practice. Before leaving this subject, I will add to the directions for hiving already given, a method which I have practiced with good success. When the situation of the bees does not admit of the basket being easily elevated to them, the beekeeper may carry it with him to the cluster, and then, after shaking the bees into it, may lower it down by a string, to an assistant standing below. That natural swarming may, with suitable hives, be made highly profitable, I cannot for a moment question. As it is the most simple and obvious way of multiplying colonies, and the one which requires the least amount of knowledge or skill, it will undoubtedly, for many years at least, be the favorite method with a large number of beekeepers.
I have therefore been careful to furnish suitable directions for its successful practice, and before I discuss the question of artificial increase, I shall show how it may be more profitably conducted than ever before. Many of the most embarrassing difficulties in the way of its successful management being readily obviated by the use of my hives. 1. The common hives fail to furnish adequate protection in winter against cold and those sudden changes to unseasonable warmth by which bees are tempted to come out and perish in large numbers on the snow and the colonies are thus prevented from breeding on a large scale as early as they otherwise would under such circumstances they can make no profitable use of the early honey harvest and they will swarm so late if they swarm at all as to have but little opportunity for laying up surplus honey while often they do not gather enough even for their own use and their owner closes the season by purchasing honey to preserve them from starvation the way in which i give the bees that amount of protection in winter which concedes most powerfully to early swarming has already been described in the chapter on protection 2. Another serious objection to all the ordinary swarming hives is the vexatious fact that if the bees swarm at all, they are liable to swarm so often as to destroy the value of both the parent stock and the after swarms. Experienced beekeepers obviate this difficulty by uniting second swarms so as to make one good colony out of two and they return to the parent stock all swarms after the second, and even this if the season is far advanced. Such operations consume much time, and often give much more trouble than they are worth. By removing all the queen cells but one, after the first swarm is left, second swarming in my hives will always be prevented, and by removing all but two, provision may be made for the issuance of second swarms and yet all after swarming be prevented the process of returning after swarms is not only objectionable on account of the time it requires having often to be repeated again and again before one queen is allowed to destroy the others but it also causes a large portion of the gathering season to be wasted for the bees seem unwilling to work with energy, so long as the pretensions of several rival queens are unsettled. 3. Another very serious objection to natural swarming, as practiced with the common hives, is the inability of the apiarian, who wishes rapidly to multiply his colonies, to aid his late and small swarms, so as to build them up into vigorous stocks. The time and money which are ordinarily spent upon small colonies are almost always thrown away. By far, the larger proportion of them never survive the winter, and the majority of those that do are so enfeebled as to be of little or no value. If they escape being robbed by stronger stocks or destroyed by the moth, they seldom recruit in season to swarm and very often the feeding must be repeated, the second fall, 
or they will at last perish. I doubt not that many of my readers will, from their own experience, endorse every word of these remarks as true to the very letter. All who have ever attempted to multiply colonies by nursing and feeding small swarms on the ordinary plans have found it attended with nothing but loss and vexation. The more a man has of such stocks, the poorer he is, for by their weakness they are constantly tempting his strong swarms to evil courses, so that at last they prefer to live as far as they can by stealing rather than by habits of honest industry, and if the feeble colonies escape being plundered, they often become mere nurseries for raising a plentiful supply of moths to ravage his whole apiary. I have already shown, in what way by the use of my hives, the smallest swarms that ever issue may be so managed as to become powerful stocks. In the same way, the apiarian can easily strengthen all his colonies which are feeble in spring. 4. As the loss of the young queens in the parent stock after it has swarmed, and in the after swarms, is a very common occurrence, a hive which, like mine, furnishes the means of easily remedying this misfortune, will greatly promote the success of those who practice natural swarming. A very intelligent beekeeper once assured me that he must use at least one such hive in his apiary for this purpose, even if in other respects it possessed no superior merits. 5. Bees, as is well known, often refuse to swarm at all, and most of the swarming hives are so constructed that proper accommodations for storing honey cannot be furnished to the superabundant population. Under such circumstances, they often hang for several months in black masses on the outside of the hive, and are worse than useless, as they consume the honey which the others have gathered. In my hives, an abundance of room for storing honey can always be given them, not all at once, so as to prevent them from swarming, but by degrees, as their necessities require, so that if they are indisposed for any reason to swarm, they may have suitable receptacles easily acceptable, and furnished with guide comb to make them more attractive, in which to store up any amount of honey that they can possibly collect. 6. In the common hives, but little can be done to dislodge the bee moth when once it has gained the mastery of the bees, whereas in mine, it can be most effectually rooted out when it has made a lodgment. See Remarks on Bee Moth. 7. In the common hives, Nothing can be done except with great difficulty. To remove the old queen when her fertility is impaired, whereas in my hives, as will be shown in the chapter on artificial swarming, this can easily be effected, so that an apiary may constantly contain a stock of young queens, in the full vigor of their reproductive powers. I trust that these remarks will convince intelligent apiarians that I have not spoken boastfully or at random, 
in asserting that natural swarming can be carried on with much greater certainty and success by the use of my hives than in any other way and that they will see that many of the most perplexing embarrassments and mortifying discouragements under which they have hitherto prosecuted it may be effectually remedied end of first chapter 10